0: Thank you everybody who was praying for uh, my daughters. They did ship out or fly out this morning. Uh, and they are safely at the college and they're getting ensconced there. So um, certainly want to thank y'all for your prayers, prayers for them, prayers for us. It is difficult to see your children fly clear across the country, it's uh, it's uh, not an easy thing. but. Uh, we, I do take comfort, though, in the fact that I believe they're doing the Lord's will. And that is that is indeed a great comfort. So, All right, well, tonight, let's see, I might need two of these. I'm not sure. But uh, no, we're going to be continuing the series that we started uh, a while back. It's a three-part series that I call uh, Life Skills for the Growing Christian." So um, just as a reminder, right, those three skills are as follows. Let's see how well you remember. The first one is the ability to what? Anybody remember? To see yourself. Exactly. The ability to see yourself. And that one was titled, Who Can Understand His Errors? The second one, we just did it, the ability to measure your words. Exactly. And that was just called Measure Your Words. I use no imagination for that title. But uh, anyway, if you missed one of those, just go back in the, in the live stream history in the YouTube channel. Um, it's there. Uh, these messages are really intended to kind of work together. So if you did miss one of those, uh, feel free to go back and listen to one of them. But uh, tonight is the third skill, and that is the power to refrain from projecting. Power to refrain from projecting. We're going to talk about what that is and what do we do about it. So let's go ahead and get into our Bibles. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and go ahead and stand when you find that. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to just start with a passage of Scripture that deals with the heart of the matter of this subject, our subject. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 2, I'll read verse 2 through 5, just follow along in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, starting verse 2. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote, Out of thy brother's eye. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you tonight. Lord, just wanting to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that you help me to uh, dispense your word as you've shown it to me, Lord. uh, That we can all uh, be blessed by this uh, message, Lord. is something we can uh, truly uh, find useful and apply to our lives. Lord, help us to not... um, Help us to walk away changed, Lord, uh, from this hour. We just thank you, Lord, for it. Pray your Holy Spirit have reign over all that is said and done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So the the passage we just read, I, I find it personally just to be a fascinating passage of Scripture because it's just, it's chock full of truth. There's several truths layered in there. Uh, in one sense it states right that there is it states that there is a reflexive quality to judgment that that i mean when it says whatever measure or standard you use to judge others that same standard will eventually sooner or later in this life or the next it will be measured against you and it will be used to judge you and i think why why is that that's that's a That's an interesting prophecy. Why is it that way? Well, we're gonna uh, attempt to answer that as we go through the message. And then, um, in another sense, it implies a certain blindness that seems to define all of human existence. How easily we attribute faults and negative qualities to others, and how uh, difficult it seems sometimes to identify these qualities in ourselves. And again, you might wonder, why is that? Why is that? And then finally, there is an order and a duty expressed uh, in this sense that before we cast judgments or make assumptions about others, we must first examine ourselves. Only by seeing ourselves truly and rightly can we rightly judge others. So tonight I want to talk about something that we all do. It's something that we're all guilty of. There are no exceptions uh... is something that's so common and so pervasive in our experience that oftentimes we don't even recognize it or when we do recognize it we try to rationalize it um, we live in denial of its reality or we live in denial of the power that it has over our interpersonal relationships and what i'm talking about is projection the word projection now uh... brother dusty heard projection he thought we we're gonna watch a movie i was like no this this is not church unlimited <laughs> but, uh, but no, projection. Those who work in uh, social medicine and clinical psychology, they know this, t- this term very well. Uh, but for the rest, if you're not familiar, I will give you two definitions. One will be kind of a narrow one, more of a clinical narrow one, and then uh, a broader one as we go. So what is projection principally uh, and especially in psychology? Projection is defined as attributing your own negative qualities and experiences to other people most often while failing to see those qualities in yourself so i'll say that i'll read that again is defined projection is defined as attributing your own negative qualities or experiences to other people most often while failing to see those qualities in yourself it usually entails denying that you yourself have those negative qualities or else rationalizing those qualities in yourself while imagining that others around you have those negative qualities in abundance in truth we project the things in truth we project the things that we hate about ourselves we project our personal failures on other people we project the conclusions of our deepest fears onto other people so what does that look like What would that look like? How would I identify that, right? Well, there's some classic examples, right? Ones that we're all familiar with. The liar, right? The liar mistrusts what other people say because he assumes that everyone is just as dishonest as he is, right? Or the philandering husband, right? Or the philandering spouse, right? Is jealous and possessive to an extreme because he doesn't trust his spouse because he imagines that she is just as prone to infidelity as he is. Or the thief, right? The thief thinks everyone's out to rob him, right? So he doesn't trust anyone. And in terms of personal failure, uh, it might look like us uh, assuming that everyone will give in to a particular temptation that we have succumbed to. We believe because we failed in a certain area, the average person is bound to fail as well. And in terms of personal fears, uh, what it might look like is we assume everyone's judging us okay when really it is our own telltale heart murmuring to us in our minds it is our own insecurities that we have about ourselves now by way of expanding that definition a little bit let me just say this projection is taking your own thoughts and attitudes and experiences and making up an image and then just placing that image on the world around you and around and on the people around you your external reality okay become simply a reflection of your own attitudes your own experiences your own assumptions based on what you would like or dislike you think everyone should like and dislike the things that you do or what you would do or not do or how you would react you think everyone should react that way okay and anyone who acts contrary to this model that you've constructed in your mind right well you see them as an enemy or they're just wrong or they're against you or they're lazy, or they're foolish, or they're cruel, or they're mean, or any other number, right, of negative descriptors that might come to mind. Now, what does this look like? Well, we, uh, someone might say, "Well, I did it. I don't see why they can't." Okay, that's not fair, right? Everyone has their own unique abilities and challenges. I believe that all cookie-cutter um, judgments are the result of projection. Well, they'll say this. They'll say, well, I got over my failed relationship in a few weeks. Why is so-and-so still uh, moping around after six months? Or they might say, well, when my loved one died, I was able to move on in a few months. Why is so-and-so still grieving after years? Well, they might say, well, I can usually forgive and forget quickly. Why doesn't so-and-so just get over it and move on? Why do, why, why do people say things like this? I think it reveals a lack of compassion a lack of empathy, it reveals, and I think it also reveals a need for um, validation, really, if you think about it. It's kind of like saying, well, you know, look what I did, why can't you do the same thing? What's wrong with you? Very often when we ask that question, what's wrong with you, that really what that is, is that's, look what I did in disguise, is what that is. So so projection then is, it's not just about the, it's not just about the negative qualities, but it's also about the negative judgments that come from failing to have empathy for others, failing to understand people. It's just easier to shoehorn people into our own conception of the way things ought to be, right, than to truly understand, make the effort to truly understand our fellow man. The man who projects goes about measuring the world by the yardstick that is himself. He is the ultimate judge and arbiter of right and wrong in his world. So now going back to the classic definition of projecting uh, negative attributes to others and failing to see them in ourselves, we can actually look at a passage of Scripture where this is on display. So let's turn our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to read 1 through 7, very familiar passage. It's the prophet Nathan confronting David. Now as some background, what has just happened right before this, right, in the previous chapter is uh, David and Bathsheba, right, and the murder of her husband. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 through 7, just follow along in your Bible, it says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, And he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that had done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. We'll stop right there. Why was, so, why was David so angry at the rich man in the story? Well, on a conscious level, right, what the rich man did was quite detestable, right? Uh, the rich man, could have had, he could have had any, one of num, any number of sheep that he already owned. He had many to choose from. He probably had the power to obtain even more sheep if he wanted to. He could have just bought one uh, somewhere. He was rich. He was a man of great means. And yet he chose to dispossess the poor man of the one lamb that he had. It was a monstrous abuse of power. It was against all standards of decent behavior, just a a gross display of disregard and taking advantage of someone. And yet, somehow up to this point, David has rationalized his own behavior, um, his own disgusting abuse of power, his own disregard for common decency, until the moment that Nathan declares it unto him, right? Suddenly he's shaken out of that, that subconscious denial. And Nathan says, Thou art the man. It's you, David. You're that man. Then David could see it, right? Uh, David, he could, up to that moment, he could easily project the qualities of being unjust, greedy, mean-spirited, monstrous. He could, he could easily project those, right? Um, but he couldn't see it in himself. God had to slap him in the face in order for him to see himself. Now, before we comment, wow, what a fool, right? That would be easy. Let's remember that David was a man after God's own heart. Always remember that. This passage is here, it's not for us to scoff at David in his weakness, okay, but rather it's a warning to us. If even a man like David can succumb to gross projection, then we should all be more, all the more vigilant against it. So, what do we do about it? How do we refrain from engaging in this very human behavior? Well, First of all, we need to recognize that we all do it, okay? Luke 6.45, you don't need to turn there, but Luke 6.45 says this, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Now we can apply this verse to our subject at hand. This may not be the primary application, but you can still apply it. To the subject at hand in the sense that what resides in a man's heart will eventually come out of his mouth that's the biblical principle and this includes the negative attitudes and the criticisms and the shame that reside in our hearts basically what the Bible says: if it's in your heart it's coming out okay usually in the form of something that you say but according to our nature when all that ugliness comes out we have a tendency to deflect it away from ourselves and put it on other people. And let's not be under the illusion that we do not do this. The Bible says we do this. The fears and the insecurities and the self-loathing and the guilt that we harbor in our hearts will come out sooner or later. But we may object, of course. There's always an objection, right? Somebody might be thinking, well, but Brother Danny, it's only natural. I mean, what else can we do except reason according to our experiences? That's all we have. Everything we know about our world is the sum of our experiences, our unique opportunities, or lack of opportunities to learn and grow and understand. Why should I be so concerned about what comes naturally to all of us? Well, first of all, that's not true, okay? If you want to learn about something that you don't know, you can pick up a book, right? Um, If you want to learn about the real world and the real nature of man and all about human experience, well, you can pick up the book, correct? But, put that aside for a minute, right? Let's take the argument at face value, right? It is natural. It is natural to interpret our world and people's behaviors through the lens of our own experience. So what's wrong with that? Well, first of all, our our nature is not some inviolable standard, okay? Neither is it accorded by the Bible any sense of innocence, okay? Honest opinions are by no means innocent opinions because we hear people say that, well, that was just my honest opinion. Okay, that was your honest opinion. Doesn't mean it was innocent, okay? Doesn't mean it was innocent. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Another very familiar There's nothing new under the sun, folks. A very familiar passage that we'll look at, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. We'll read 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the thing about all those behaviors is they all come naturally. Okay? They all come naturally because we have a sin nature. Therefore, nature is not a justification for anything that we do. It may be a reason for what we do, okay? But it's not a justification for what we do. We need to understand there's a difference, okay, between the reason we do things, okay, and justification. Just, justification, think about what just justification is. Justification absolves you of sin. So there's many reasons why we do the things we do. It could be uh, emotions. It could be pressure. It could be grief. It could be trials. It could be many. There's many reasons why we do the things we do. But those are not justifications for the things that we do, especially when it comes to sin. Romans 5.12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned talking about the sin nature that we all have. That is our nature. So it's natural is not a justification, right? Speaking of Romans though, there's a turning point in the book of Romans that I think is worth uh, noteworthy. Um, We've been going through the book of Romans in in my Sunday school class. By the way, if you're between the ages of 40 and 60, (laughs) you're invited to uh, attend the foundation Sunday school class. Uh, We're finishing up with Romans, hopefully, this week, and then we will be moving on. But it's been a good journey. We've been in the book of Romans for about three years. So, yeah. Uh, So anyway, there's a turning point, though, in that book. It comes in Romans Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. You don't need to turn there. You can if you want, but you should know these already. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Here's the important part. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When you study the book of Romans, you will notice something about this passage. After these two scriptures, okay, um, every prescription, every commandment, every recommendation, whatever you want to call it, what, every behavior that is expected of the Christian goes against our human nature. They are the products of the transformed mind. If you're going to have these behaviors, if you're going to cultivate these behaviors, you must allow God's word to transform your mind, to transform you, because it is not natural to be kind to your enemies. It is not natural to refrain from avenging wrongs. Jesus Christ himself said, Any man, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny what? Deny his nature. Yep. Deny his natural impulses. Now, there are many ways in which we can practice this self denial. Um, we have spoken of humility in a previous sermon. It might have been the last one, or maybe it was the one before. But if you'll remember it, uh, C.S. Lewis, he called humility, he called it beautiful forgetfulness, if you'll remember that. By which he meant that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's not thinking meanly of yourself, but rather true humility is not to think of yourself at all. It is turning your vision outward instead of inward and beginning to practice the beautiful vision that we will have in heaven in the presence of our Savior, during which we will have no time or inclination to be focused on ourselves at all. So that was humility. But beyond that, I believe that one of the greatest weapons that we have in our arsenal of self-denial is meekness. So I want to talk about that right now. I believe that the power to refrain from projecting lies in meekness. And I'll show you what I mean. Let's a, we're going to go through a thought exercise, right? Again, somebody was probably thinking, no, exercise, no. We don't say that word in our house. Um, anyway, what is meekness? Okay, what is meekness? We've heard Pastor talk about it, but meekness is power under control. Okay, this is the definition the pastor likes to use. I like it myself. Meekness is power under control, power under restraint. Okay, you can have other def- definitions, but this is my favorite one. Okay, um, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he could have called down legions of angels. That was within his power, but he didn't. Moses, who was leader of the Jewish people as they uh, trudged through the wilderness, right? even in the face of great opposition and very challenging circumstances, he remained humble and he remained patient. David, uh, when Saul was hunting him and to kill him, right? he had a chance where he could have killed Saul. Could have done it. He didn't. He refrained. He spared him. So in each instance, and there are many others in the Bible, of course, someone with great power and the opportunity to display that power instead chose restraint. This is meekness. So listen to this proposition then. Where there exists the greatest amount of power, there also exists the greatest opportunity to exercise meekness. Okay, I'll say it again, where there exists the greatest amount of power, there also exists the greatest opportunity for meekness. If meekness is power under control, or restraint, then wherever there resides the greatest concentration of power also resides the greatest opportunity for meekness. So for you personally, then, in what realm do you possess the most power? Your greatest opportunity for meekness is going to be in the place where you enjoy the most power. And where is that? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Where is that? It's true for everyone. Where do you have the most power? Everybody want to take a, take a stab at it? Anyone? Somebody's close over there. Your mind. Exactly. It's your mind, folks. You call the shots in your mind no one can tell you what to think no one can make you decide anything no one can stop you from having any sort of thought or fantasy or imagination that you want to have in your mind you have absolute unchecked power to create to react to judge to deny You're master in your mind that is where you have the most power Therefore, that is, where you have the, that is where you have the greatest opportunity to exercise meekness. So meekness, then, is not really a behavior, is it? It's a mindset. Behavior, meekness is not, not a behavior. It's a mindset. Let me show you what I mean. I want you to look up two verses. You have to put your finger on one and look up the other. We're going to look at two verses. Look at Romans 12.10. Find that. And then look at Philippians 2.3. We'll read Romans 12.10 first, and then we'll read Philippians 2.3. I'll give you a little extra time since I asked you to look for two of them. But I want you to see something. Romans 12.10 reads this. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. And now over to Philippians 2.3 it says let nothing be done in strife or vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves I'm going to make the argument that you can fake one of these verses but you cannot fake the other one that's right, right? one of these verses you can fake if you are so minded and the one that you can fake I believe is the first one Romans twelve ten. It says, you see that, that phrase there? It says, in honor, preferring one another. You can give the appearance, okay, of preferring one another and not have true humility or meekness of mind. Now, I'm gonna be a little crude, okay, but I think you can under- appreciate what I'm trying to illustrate here. Here's what I mean, though. I can hold the door open for you, right, and still think you're stupid, okay? <laughs> Basically, I can say, oh, After you, brother, and still think you're a moron. Okay? That's what I mean. You can you can fake it, okay? But you can't fake the second one. Look at Philippians two three. It says, In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Why can't you fake that? Because it happens entirely in the mind. There's no point in fooling yourself. We're trying to, you to have true lowliness of mind and esteem someone, esteem means to estimate their worth or their worthiness, okay, that's what it means to esteem, right? So to have true lowliness of mind and esteem someone, that is a mental act and you cannot fake it. By the way, that's a command. Uh, and you might think, well, Brother Danny, that's very difficult for me. join the club okay Uh, that's very difficult for me brother Danny I have trouble esteeming others better than what it is better than what's in my nature to esteem them well let me help you let me help you Um, look around look around the room look at everyone look who's around right every single person you see is made in the image of God Amen? amen every person you see was fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of the living God Every person you see is an engineering marvel. Every person you see is a masterpiece of divine origin and contains the breath of God in their body. Remember when he made Adam, says he breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. Everyone has that. Every person you see is someone Jesus Christ died on a cross for. Every person you see has a soul more precious than all the gold and diamonds and possessions in the world put together. So, Christian... If you could see people the way God sees people, you would have no trouble estimating their worth. But that's up to you. Can't make you. Nobody can make you do it. It's within your power. You have to decide how you will see people in the world around you. Will you see them by the truth of God? Or will you see them by your own narrow vision? It is within your power to decide how you will judge your fellow man But as that passage said in the beginning, remember the one we started with, it assures us that whatever you decide, it will be meted back to you. So, let's put it all together, right? I'm done with projection for now, but let's look at these three life skills together for a moment. Remember what they were. Number one, the ability to see yourself, right? And number two, the ability to measure your words. And number three, the power to refrain from projecting. Why are these important? Why, why did I pick these three? What, why are they important? Let's turn to John chapter 13. Let's look at passage here in John 13. I think we'll see it here. John chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 34 and 35. These are the words of Jesus. And he says this, he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, the command to love each other, that's, that in and of itself was not new, right? We know even in the Old Testament it said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, okay? And Jesus even quoted that in, uh, in another part of Scripture, right? But what was new about this commandment was the standard and the manner that lo- of love that Jesus was setting. You notice that the Old Commandment says what? To love thy neighbor, what? As yourself. But Jesus said to love one another as I have loved you. It's a higher standard, especially when you consider that Jesus laid down his life for us. He died on a cross for us. That's a very, very high standard. So he is speaking then of a sacrificial love, a self-sacrificing love that we ought to have one toward another. And it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul said, pleaded with us, right, to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is the standard and basis by which Christians are to love each other. It is commanded. But how are you gonna do that when you're constantly comparing everyone to yourself? Romans 2.1 says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. How are you going to judge people rightly when you can't even see yourself? The beam must be taken out of your own eye first, remember? How will you love your neighbor when you can't even measure the words that are coming out of your mouth? And you must, you can't take words back once they're out of your mouth. So look, here's my point for tonight, okay? Very soon we're moving into a new building. But guess what? It's the same old church, though. It's the same church, maybe a new building, but it's the same old church. So whatever we haven't got right in this building, it's gonna be wrong in the next building. The sinful attitudes that you have right now, if you don't correct them, you will have them in the new building. We will not become the church of God, the church that God wants us to be, if we do not learn to love each other the way Christ wants us to love one another. The thing about our ability to see ourselves is that when we fail to do it, it engenders pride. It causes us to offend and be offended because of a gross disparity between who we imagine ourselves to be and who we really are. Remember in the Bible, the difference between the way things ought to be and the way things are, that's called iniquity. pastor just spoke about that. We lose sight of what is around us because we're so focused inwardly. And words, remember, words are powerful. If you could truly measure how powerful words are, you would use them more carefully, more thoughtfully, more lovingly. And projection, which we just talked about, Projection is the quick and easy path. And the easy path is rarely the correct one. Knee-jerk reactions, snap judgments, we're all familiar with those. These come from a lack of empathy, a lack of understanding, failing to stop for a moment and see things through spiritual eyes. And so we must work to acquire these skills if we're going to love each other, if we're gonna grow as a church, if we're going to fulfill Christ's command, even the Great Commission. Just think about this. How are people gonna know that God loves them if we don't love them? And how are they gonna know that we love them if we don't even love each other? So ultimately, we're not gonna be known by our new building, okay? We're not gonna be known by our sound system or our comfortable chairs. We will be known by how how we love each other. Christ said so. So that's the decision you gotta make. Decide now to pursue God's ways, God's thoughts. God's prescription for our lives, our words, our thoughts, our habit of mind. But it is up to you. It's up to you. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.